Today's episode highlights include working for the University Heidelberg Association at the German House in New York, first-generation students study abroad experience and tips for success, using the abroad experience for your career advancement, and this week's travel suggestions are Heidelberg and Norderney. Plus, find out what happens during a box factory tour. My name is Hanni Geist. Welcome to Coffee Connections. Today's Coffee Connection is Amanda Ramdakula, who's the Executive Director of Heidelberg University Association. Have a listen. I'm Amanda Ramdakula, the Executive Director of Heidelberg University Association. And I'm having tea right now. Ideally, if we were to meet in a German cafe, maybe in Heidelberg, what would you order? Um, a Milchkaffee. Yeah, for sure. Mm -hmm. What kind of sweets would you order? Are you a cake or sweets person? Definitely. Let's see. I, I love a uh, Flammkuchen. Mm. So depending upon the time of year, that would be my first choice. I think you've been in the position not for very long yet, right? When did That's you, right. When did you start with the University of Heidelberg? I started at the beginning of September in 2019. So for someone who is not familiar with the setup, what does that actually mean? So you're not sitting in Heidelberg, mm -hmm. you're in New York. So can you talk a little bit more what your position actually entails? Heidelberg University Association is the, the 501c3 nonprofit organization that is officially the U.S. liaison office for Heidelberg University in, in Heidelberg, Germany. We are one of four international offices. The others are in Santiago de Chile, New Delhi, India, and Kyoto, Japan. And the purpose of the organization is to represent the university in the U.S. And that means for us, a large portion of it is alumni relations. We have regional chapters and a lot of alumni in the U.S. and organize events and things. We also do fundraising to support the university and scholarships for Americans to study in Heidelberg. And I also support and foster relationships with institutions in the U.S. And now the, the question is, what is your experience with Heidelberg? Have you studied <laughs> yourself in Heidelberg? No, I actually, I spent my junior year abroad at the University of Freiburg, and I did a Fulbright in Niedersachsen teaching English at a gymnasium. So I don't have a personal connection to Heidelberg. I had visited both times I was living in Germany just on the weekend because it's a beautiful city and a, and a popular destination. I really applied for this job because in my previous role, I had been at that organization for about seven years overseeing exchange programs between the U.S. and Germany, and that was another nonprofit, and my role had changed into more of a nonprofit management role, and it, it was just time for a change, and this job came along and looked really, really interesting, the chance to do sort of different things and continue my connection with Germany in the U.S., so I, I jumped on it and applied. So at this point, you can actually study international relations, especially here in the United States, but in Germany as well. But this is not necessarily something that you have to study. So what is your background? What did you study? I did my bachelor's. I had a double major in economics and Germanic languages and literatures. Uh, I did that at the University of Pittsburgh. And after teaching German for a, a few years, I went back and did my master's in German area studies. Not an international relations focus, per se. 
Do you have German family? Do you have, how did you get to the German path initially? Sure. It was a bit of an accident. I grew up outside of Pittsburgh in Western Pennsylvania. And in the eighth grade, my high school offered Latin, German, French, and Spanish. And in the eighth grade, everybody got to take nine weeks of each so that you could decide what you would like to pursue for the next four years of high school. And I fully intended to take French, but I really, really clicked with the German teacher and, and learned a lot in a short amount of time. And that sort of cemented it for me. And I, I have to say, even in college, I was more focused on the economics and I, I loved German, so I kept doing it. So even there, it was a bit accidental. But after I studied abroad, it, it was such a transformative experience for me. I couldn't imagine not having Germany and the German language be a part of my life in some way. So can you elaborate a little bit more on that? I know for myself, mm -hmm. my abroad experience was really important and I would not be here where I am today if it hadn't been for my study abroad, my abroad experiences in general. So how did that change you personally, but also then how did it shape your career? I come from a very large family, so we didn't, we actually didn't travel very often. Um, When you say large, just out of curiosity, what sure. is large for you? I have, um, I have three sisters and later also two stepsisters. So I'm, I'm one of six. And uh, it's quite an ordeal to travel anywhere with that many people, let alone internationally. I will say I didn't know what I wanted to do when I entered college, but I was certain that I wanted to study abroad. So I, I went to my advisor with that and we built my schedule so that I could do sort of gen ed requirements when I was in Germany and spend a lot more time focusing on meeting people and learning the language and, and generally adjusting. So for me, I was the first passport holder in my immediate family. It was really my first time on a plane. I wanted to ask because oftentimes that's, even though maybe the student wants to study abroad, there's just so much more. It's like you just said, maybe you're the first with a passport, maybe you're the first mm -hmm. to study abroad at all or to go abroad. So how was that? in your family, did they just accept it? I'm like, sure, go, go ahead. Or how did, how did you navigate that? Um, that was funny. I, um, so first of all, I have to say my college was really supportive and I, I went to the study abroad office and said, I, I want to study abroad. What are the options? And they pointed me in the direction of a program that they worked closely with through IES. And basically they accepted all of the credits that, that are through that program, but also didn't charge additional tuition on top of it. So in terms of making it accessible and affordable, that was really helpful because it cost about the same plus a plane ticket for me to study abroad. And that, that was a huge factor. That also meant that I could apply without discussing it with my parents first. <laughs> I knew that I had the funding questions sort of all worked out before I even applied. Um, and then when I was accepted, I, I told my parents and they're, they're divorced. And I found out later that my, my dad said, well, can we ground her or, or keep her here somehow to my mom? And she said, I, her student loans are covering this. I don't really know how we can keep her here. So in the end, they were supportive. <laughs> how did you navigate the conversation and maybe how, not just your personal experience, but then mm -hmm. also how did that maybe also change your parents? Because also for DAD, of course, our main task is to foster exchange and that on the on the academic level but of course 
we hope that the ambassador role is still there and that, mm -hmm. that students who study abroad, researchers that go abroad, even for individuals who don't have the opportunity, do get this little piece of a different country through that person who went. So how was that for your family and for, for your parents? Sure. I mean, obviously we were untouched the whole time I was abroad the first time and they obviously knew I had an interest in German and, and was majoring in it. So that piece wasn't surprising. I think that made it real for them though, that, you know, I was somewhere else. It, the, I was abroad in uh, the academic year of 2003 and 2004. So the Iraq war was going on. We found Saddam Hussein. So there were sort of a lot of international issues happening. And I think my parents, it definitely opened the world up for them a little bit and made them look at international news a bit just to make sure, okay, even just to see, is Amanda safe in Europe right now? So it definitely, definitely opened their perspective a bit. And, and that's, that's continued. Anytime there's a large issue, somebody in my family will ask, what's this look like in Germany? How are, how are they handling things? So there's a definite awareness that wasn't there before. I will also say the, the program I went on was very supportive and provided materials for parents. And I was a first-generation college student as well, so I was already navigating new spaces on my own. And it was helpful to have materials that I could share with them so that they knew things like you know, currency and will there be insurance and what's the general, is Germany generally a safe country? Things like that. So for you, what were, what were your expectations? And then when you, when you went to Germany, how did those expectations either become true or change when you were actually mm -hmm. in the country? My main goal was to become fluent. It was really important to me that, you know, if I put on my resume, I studied German, that I could also use that professionally. And I have to say, I, I didn't really know what to expect. Part of that, you know, when I went to look at locations, I thought, oh yeah, Berlin, that, that's supposed to be a cool city. I've heard of it. I'll go there. And my advisor said, you could do that, but I recommend, since language is a focus for you, I recommend a smaller city so that people don't just switch to English when they hear your accent. And she was absolutely right. And I admit before that time, I hadn't heard of Freiburg. I didn't have a lot of expectations and it was fun to do research. I wanted to make some friends. And those things happen. What I didn't expect to happen was the growth in, in confidence for me and becoming more direct and self-assured. So for me personally, the, the growth was huge. You mean the German directness? You took some of that? <laughs> some German directness, but also hit, facing some real challenges and, and just having to overcome them a lot of the time on your own because there isn't someone else. So even small things, I had uh, I had some tooth pain, and I went to the dentist and had to have one of my wisdom teeth removed. And that that is something I would have I would have gone to the dentist with my mom at home, even though you know I was technically an adult. There would have been somebody would have picked me up and taken me there, and I had to navigate that on my own. And when you overcome challenges like that and come out on the other end okay, yeah, it's a real confidence boost. We're recording this during the COVID nineteen pandemic, so. Currently, travel is limited, but in theory, a lot of students now study abroad, and this is what we want. We want more students to have that international experience. Mm -hmm. And it's also, for any kind of career, it's now almost a requirement. You have to study abroad. But then how do you translate these experiences and really advocate for yourself and, and also basically show, oh, it wasn't just great, but I can, I can talk about the experience and how I can translate that to my career. So 
how did you do that then when you came back? I once heard that when you look back at your career, everything lines up and makes sense in, in the order, but while it's happening, it doesn't feel like that at all. And I have found that to be true. When I came back from studying abroad, I thought, okay, I need to use German. What can I do? And it didn't occur to me to really ask anybody. I, like I said, I was a first generation college student, so I was navigating things alone as well. And I thought, well, I'll be a teacher. So that was a thing I knew and I, I pursued that. And that, that was more of a direct correlation to the experience. It was really easy to justify how my time in Germany translated to this position. With working in exchange, and in particular, the programs I worked on previously were all internship-based. And we worked a lot with our participants on, quote-unquote, selling your experience. And, and that's, I found I got to kind of work through some of that for myself as well. Really thinking about, if you look at... I don't know, typically ask interview questions and think about if we say that study abroad makes you stand out and it does, then it's also on you to sort of bring that up in instances where it ne doesn't necessarily stand out. So if they say, oh, your resume says you speak German, again, that's, that's a more obvious connection. But if you need to respond to a question like, tell us about a time you solved a problem or worked in a team, those kinds of things, or a time you failed, those kinds of things can all relate back to your, your experience abroad. And I think that's when you stand out compared to other candidates. So how was the experience then as a first generation student and not knowing a whole lot then at the university studying abroad? How did you navigate the campus? How was that experience for you? Yeah, so for me, I, there, you know, there are a lot of different ways to go abroad. And I feel fortunate that I did it through a more structured program. I think for somebody without as much as without as much experience like me at the time, it was important. IES had a program center where you could take courses and I stayed for a year. So I did the courses at their center and then in the second semester enrolled directly in the university. So it was sort of a nice tiered process and they were able to help. That second semester though, I remember uh, just a lot of things stand out the, the way the way students interact with, with professors was really different. And the, as you know, the amount of, of work you hand in and, and the amount of feedback you're getting. And that's, that's one of those areas where I think just the, an American, as an American student who's used to a lot of constant feedback and reassurance that you're on the right track, that was a confidence building moment where you know, maybe halfway through the semester, I just met with a professor just to kind of check in to make sure I wasn't way off. But it was difficult to navigate and it taught me to be okay with uncertainty. Did you have like a mentor or someone to tell you? Because I know from personal experience, and I am German, but for me, navigating university and really being very upfront saying, I need help and I need more input, Mm -hmm. uh, that was something that I learned, unfortunately, only very late. Uh, so how did you navigate this? How did you, did, did you have friends that you were able to check in? What was your support system then in Germany? I did. Um, I had made friends. I, I lived in a dorm and it was, I, I want to say there were 18 of us on the floor. So we had 18 individual rooms and then a shared kitchen and living room type space. So they were extremely helpful. And also as for me, it was sort of my last resort at that point in my year to go talk to the, the program center. 
I had kind of pulled away at that point because I had built my, my friend network. I'd never advocate for staying in the American bubble, but I, I did make some really good American friends through the program as well. And some of them were a lot more experienced and were helpful. You know, it wasn't their first time even studying abroad for some of them. So they were very helpful and, and supportive. So it was really nice to have sort of a, diff, a, a broad network. Is there something that you now in retrospect you wish you had known and that you may be able to pass along? Two big ones stand out. One is to journal. I didn't really journal. I took a lot of photos, but I don't know. I think maybe part of being 20 is that you assume you'll remember everything. And I, even now when I talk with some of my friends from study abroad, they'll mention the things that happen and I don't remember. So write it down or, or blog. And another thing I, like I said, I was still gathering confidence and learning to put myself out there. And I now know that when a, a German friend invites you to do something, that they really mean it. And you should just say yes, if it's, you know, unless it's unsafe or insane, you should just go. So my boyfriend at the time had come to visit for Christmas and we were just staying in the dorm and a friend of mine who was also on my floor invited me to come stay with her parents for Christmas. And to me, that just seemed like it would be such a major imposition. It never crossed, it never crossed my mind that she wasn't just being nice. So I turned it down and that in retrospect, seems really stupid. So <laughs> journal and, and say yes to every invitation. That's definitely something that I noticed that in the U.S. when someone says, oh, we should grab coffee sometime. It's like, yeah, we should. But if, if you say that to a German, mm -hmm. you, you better mean it. And if, if we <laughs> say it, this is something like we don't say lightly. We, we actually right. do want to. Yeah, so is there, you mentioned directness at the very beginning. Do you feel like there are sort of certain things that you took with you that you're still, that still shape you as a person? Oh, absolutely. I think it's interesting because of the, the timing. You know, when you're in college, a lot of my firsts just as an adult happened for me in Germany. So I kind of associate those things like, like cooking for myself. There are certain things I still make that I learned to make from my roommates or my friends. I like to ride bikes. That was also, I mean, I, always, I rode a bike my whole life, but, you know, really as a form of transportation, it was something that, that stuck around at different points in my life. I feel fortunate to have continued to, to work professionally with Germans or Americans who know Germans. I feel like I've learned the fine art of, of being direct and still polite, which also serves one well in New York. Yeah, and, and just also the pace, and this might have been just been college, it might have just been Freiburg, but just that life doesn't have to be work, 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 and that you can take breaks and things are okay and to, you know, enjoy the sunshine. That's something that I really took with me as a, just as a new perspective, but that wasn't, that wasn't a, a way of living that I had ever seen. So if someone was also interested in going into a similar career, maybe what advice would you give? I would say try to get more than one experience abroad. I feel fortunate to have had two. I think it's good to have had time in different. I spent both, both of my experiences in Germany in very different parts. I don't know that that's necessary, but I feel like it's served me well. And I also think international education, it can be competitive. I think you have to be open and, and willing to work hard and kind of pay your dues. 
Um, I don't know if that's different from other fields, but I do get the sense that that's served me well. And if you get the chance to go abroad, however long it's there, make connections with locals and really learn the language. Some of the most heartbreaking interviews I've, I've been a part of are, are when someone's spent a significant amount of time abroad and, and they haven't really mastered the language skills. So that, that always makes me really sad. So what did you do? Because I know that as your professor or your advisor said, um, if you want to learn German, don't go to Berlin, go to a smaller mm -hmm. city. But even in smaller cities, especially the ones with universities, there are mm -hmm. still fairly international. You have, the, you have young students. And so I think a lot of university towns are still pretty international. So for you, learning German, trying to speak German, what strategies did you have in really improving your language skills? Because it is, it is of course, easier uh, when you go to Germany, but there are strategies and it's not, mm -hmm. it doesn't just come easily necessarily. So what, what were your strategies in improving your German? Yeah, I tried to read as much as I could, news um, and watch television which sounds really easy, but I think that's become increasingly more difficult to do. And what television it, did you watch? With, oh God. <laughs> you know, we watched a lot of MTV and a lot of <laughs> dubbed movies. Uh, I have a distinct memory of watching Dirty Dancing <laughs> sure. dubbed with all of the other women on my floor. I went to see a lot of movies. I remember the second Lord of the Rings movie, for example, came out and we didn't go see it in English. So really your media consumption. I didn't talk on the phone a whole lot with family and friends at home. I think that was helpful. Again, it was 2003. So I think that was easier. There was no Skype. My university still didn't have webmail. So I mean, it was, it, it was much easier to sort of uh, disconnect there. I spent a lot of time with my roommates. I had a tandem partner. So what does that actually mean for someone who's not oh, familiar sure. with that term? So a tandem partner is a really great thing, and all of these services are online now, but basically it's somebody who's, in this case, trying to learn English. I'm trying to learn German, so we would meet up for an hour over a beer or coffee or whatever and, and spend about half the time speaking in one language and half the time speaking in the other language. And in my case, we had sort of agreed that we would be okay with interjecting with corrections or or vocabulary. I said um, that too, and then when my husband sometimes does it, it's, it's um, especially when you when you're really engaged, and sometimes mm -hmm. it's kind of a downer. But um, totally. <laughs> but it but it is especially when you reach a certain level. Not a lot of people will correct you, so yeah, um, I'm always really grateful. I have two people in my life who will correct me. Yeah, and I, th I think that that's a really good point. That's exactly what happens. Either you're excited and you think you're in the groove and they interject and think, oh, man. So it's nice to be in a, in a space where you've both agreed upon the parameters. And a few times, some of the other Americans who I was friends with had tandem partners. And there were two or three times where we got everybody together. So we had a, a group of tandem partners who, again, had agreed to the same thing. And, but then you were talking to other people. I don't know if any of those are groundbreaking suggestions, but that's what worked for me. Well, sometimes it doesn't have to be groundbreaking, but I feel like sometimes it may not be as intuitive and just mm -hmm. spelling it out is, is really helpful. So with your second experience, I remember, so I was in the U.S. the first time as an au pair and then an exchange mm -hmm. student at UT Austin. And so I feel like 
it got easier. The third time was probably the easiest for me then because I knew what to expect. I knew also sometimes culture shock is a, is a thing. But especially after my year at UT Austin, I was chasing that experience. I really love the one year. I really love the university and the people mm -hmm. that I met. So how was that for you coming back the second time and how maybe did that differ from the first time? Yeah, I mean, there were a lot of factors that were different. I, I loved it. I had an amazing year, one of the best in my life, the second year. I was in a small town called Damme in Kreisfechta um, in Niedersachsen. It's, okay. it's in the Oldenburger Münsterland, so it, it's between <laughs> between okay. Oldenburg and Münster. And, and just 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 for context, I had I had finished my master's at that point. I, I had been married three years when I left, and my husband didn't join me. I was 28, so I turned 29 on the program, which was the upper limit. So I, I was also coming at this at a at a really different place in my life. Yeah, and it it was just one of those things where. Um, this kind of connects back to your question about career. I knew at that point that I, I no longer wanted to teach, but I thought that I still wanted to be involved in working with students and in education and possibly um, education abroad somehow. And I thought I need to go again. And it was in some ways it was a do over. So I blogged. So I wrote everything down. I said yes to all my invitations. What was the and, craziest invitation that you got where you said, <laughs> oh, God, yes, but I don't even know what, what I'm doing? So, no, this is, a, this is a great question. There was a cardboard box factory in town, and they had a, an open house day. And I, I rented an apartment from people I lovingly refer to as my, my host parents now, Wolfgang and Ozel, and, and they were in their 70s at the time and invited me to go with them to the box factory. And I, I think that's probably the strangest one. And I thought, okay. <laughs> and I wouldn't have toured a box factory. There so, was what is there to, so what is there to see? <laughs> it's really, they take you through and you see all the machinery and how things are made. And in the end, there's cafe and kuchen. And I did the same thing at a, a grain mill. They were having their hundredth anniversary or something, I want to say. And it, it was a very small town. So I, it was a lot of things like that. And I thought, I remember, okay, I said I would say yes, so I'm saying yes, but also thinking this feels nuts, but I'm still glad I did it. And I met a lot of people in the in town because of things like that. And that's ultimately what you're after. It was also great to be there in a professional capacity. I was teaching and you could take that as seriously or not as, as you wanted. And I, I had already been teaching in the US for six years at that point. So um, they really, took advantage of me in the school and, and put me in, in a lot of classes with a lot of teachers. Usually you're assigned to one teacher and you're kind of with them all day. I was with six different English teachers. So I got to see all different levels. And then I also sat on, on um, German classes and history classes just out of curiosity. And sometimes I would lead a lesson. Sometimes I would just contribute as an expert. Sometimes I would lead at different activities. So yeah, I did a lot of different things. Got to go on field trips. Um, I started an English club briefly. So you just mentioned the word expert. In the US, you're probably the expert for German in Germany. And in Germany, you're probably the go-to person. It's like what's going on in the US. So mm -hmm. what are the things on both sides that you would like the other country or the other people from the country to, to know that's not commonly known 
in the news or something that you feel is important? I think when, and I, I get this a lot when I'm trying to either explain to my German friends what the heck the U.S. is up to or if I'm explaining to my family what the heck is happening in Germany, there are sort of big historical contexts that everybody forgets about. And I think, you know, in Germany, up until 1949, things were relatively chaotic and there was, there was a lot happening. And actually, let's say up until 1991, there was a lot of chaos. There were wars on your soil or on German soil and that people are looking for stability, I think, and quiet. And I think that, that that's a different feeling from let's keep pushing west and just so just those historical contexts i think make people make different decisions and if you don't understand that or don't think about that it's been a long time since we've had a war on u.s soil that leads to different decisions and some of the stereotypes i i think it would i hear a lot from germans that you know you can't be a real american um just because of my my political views or or They say you're not a real American. You can't be a real American, you know, because you think X or you speak another language. I thought you guys didn't do that. Um, so what do you, what do you reply to that? So I, you know, I think, especially my friends, they're like, oh, you, you know, a bunch of things about Germany. This must be so unique. And I think, no, there's a whole building full of us here in New York. And, um, and I, I, I just say, you know, I, I'm not unique. And that's part of why it's great for them to have met me and vice versa. Another stereotype that I think should go away is that Germans are unfriendly. That's really never been my experience um, or that they're cold. That's never been my experience. And I hear that a lot from Americans. So yeah, those are, those are also things I think would be good to understand. There's a wide variety of human beings all over the place. That's true. I think what it is with Germans is that they're a little bit more cautious and a little bit more observant mm -hmm. and i think that is sometimes i mean for myself too sometimes misinterpreted as cold or maybe not as warm but my experience is that it takes me sometimes a while to get to know someone but if i do then i'm i'm, I'm different but i think that's why the how are you doing here in the united states mm -hmm. is so weird to germans it's like well you would only ask that question if you really wanted to know. So why do you ask that question? So. Sure. Yes, exactly. Or, you know, and Americans just kind of smile a lot. And I think that feels friendly to us, but doesn't necessarily come across that way. Yeah, I always say kind of the happy medium would be nice. So that's why I'm grateful that I can work in this international environment. So how is this for you? You're actually sitting in the German house in New York. Mm -hmm. And so maybe you can describe that because it's a unique place to work at. It is. It's, it's very unique. I will say I've been in New York for eight years and probably one of the first things that Americans like me do when you go to a new city is find the Stammtisch or, or meetup group. So I, ha I, I feel fortunate that I was also already able to attend different events and things at, at the consulate. So it wasn't, that wasn't brand new to me with when I took this position, but it's really great. It's, it's just really great to meet all of these people in one building who are there for in one way or another to do similar thing to you, that you're doing to really foster this relationship between the U.S. and Germany, to have a, a building full of people who 
kind of get both places and you can sort of, you can roll your eyes about, you know, too much paperwork on the one end or, you know, wanting a response to an email in the middle of the night on the other end. And just, it's, it's really nice to be with a bunch of people who understand both sides and, and can, and put them together and, and work. So unfortunately, you are not able to go to Germany in May, and I will <laughs> probably also not going to be going in July, but um, you, you spent some time in Germany, and I assume you also visited some smaller towns. So once people are able to travel again, what are the lesser mm -hmm. known places you can recommend people visit and why? So I'm still learning the American perspective on, on Heidelberg. So if it's unknown to you, I think you should, it's absolutely worth a visit. It's, it's just so beautiful. It's only about an hour from Frankfurt. It's a great location. So, so what else is there <laughs> that, that you particularly find worth a visit? Oh, I really, um, I like the landscape. It might be partly influenced by living in New York right now, but the, you know, the rolling hills and I had some really great wine and food. <laughs> to be honest. So good walks and wine and food and just the, the castle, obviously, and really beautiful old architecture, 100% worth a visit. I also spent a lovely four-day weekend once on Norderney. So for somebody really trying to go to the lesser visited Germany, I'd say any of the East Frisian islands are, it's just a completely different landscape and a whole different vibe. And I happen to enjoy the food, the fish products. So go north. I think those are my big recommendations. This was my coffee connection with Amanda Romdaquilla. You can get in touch with her at adaquilla at heidelberguniversity.org. I also added that to the show notes. All content is created and edited by me, Honey Geist. If you would like to get in touch, send an email to podcast at dad.org. Stay safe, healthy, and well. Thanks for listening. I'll catch you at the next coffee break.